0: And in a special edition of the New Statesman podcast, the NS Politics Desk discusses what's happened and what next. So it's uh, slightly later than usual New Statesman podcast because we thought with the various votes uh, going on yesterday that we would wait a little bit so we could give you a kind of fuller picture. Helen is still on holiday. Don't worry, this isn't like when, um, you know, when a senior Labour staffer goes on holiday and they actually means being fired. She's just on holiday. But I'm joined again by the full might of the NS Westminster team, Patrick Maguire. Hello. And our Anthony Howard scholar, Eleni Career. Hello. Right. So just, you know, for the benefit of anyone who's been fortunate enough to, you know, be in Jordan, which I believe is where Helen is, or, you know,
1: somehow to have escaped what's happened in the last uh, how many days, where are we? Well, how lucky for her to be in a, well, in a slightly less stable region of the world than the Middle East, it seems. Where to start? The vote, there were a series of votes in Parliament last night, that's Wednesday for anyone listening, where MPs voted to... Rule out no deal in any circumstances, then the government, uh, then the Conservative Party, the might of the Conservative Party failed to coalesce around the Malthouse Compromise, which is a compromise in the same way that, and so when I was about 15, I decided I'd be only able to play for, for the, uh, the World Cup for Ireland and not England, and now I'm looking into playing for one of those sort of micro nations that play against Yorkshire in the minor World Cup. The Mart House compromise, that split the Tory party down the middle, and then the government decided to whip against the amended motion that would have, in inverted commas, taken no deal completely off the table, as a scary number of otherwise esteemed journalists and MPs were saying last night. But half the cabinet, well, not half the cabinet, four cabinet ministers were in open defiance of that. Uh, 4.5, if t- you count Claire Perry, who can <laughs> attend. Brackets, but... attending, yeah, yeah, no, let's not let's not indulge that act of cynical tokenism from from Downey Street. Oh yeah, I I do enjoy this weird thing
0: where people think, oh, people are going to give us a hard time for there being fewer women, so we'll just say that a junior minister can attend. It's just like you've literally all you've done there is you've conceded that you are rubbish on
1: the on the gender balance, but you haven't done anything about it. And then, yeah, and then they abstained, but they have been told by Downing Street that you can abstain and you won't be sacked. Uh, uh, Sarah Newton, junior minister, and Paul Masterton, a parliamentary private secretary, went over the threshold and broke the whip and voted against. So, I mean, the long and short of it is, you know, yet more constitutional norms are being eroded. It's sort of the case of Met had the pleasure of meeting... Cabinet collective responsibility a charity do once. It was surprisingly down to earth and very funny. So where we are now is we're waiting to see how MPs vote on extending Article 50, how long they the extension they plump for will be. Lots of EU leaders are making what uh, Downing Street would say, are helpful noises today saying, well, you know what we should do, extend it for 21 months and then we'll reopen discussions on the customs union and the single market and all those things you don't like, Simon Clark, Marc Francois, Steve Baker. So their hope and the fear of people like Steve Baker is that suddenly beyond the sort of core of 20 or 30 hardline ELG MPs whose active preference is for no deal over May's deal is that they panic and go... Okay, this Brexit is, uh, as the uh, Tory MP Trudy Harrison said yesterday, a cat's ass, and we will we will we will back it for fear of not getting a Brexit. Right, I mean, if you could just explain
0: for us, so the motion was to rule out No Deal, and yet it was amended to even more rule out No Deal. Yes, if you could explain that for.
2: Yeah I think actually it's quite important to explain because when I got home last night my flatmate just thought that the MPs had gone mad by only voting down no deal by sort of four votes it's like oh did 300 and something MPs back no deal actually no that's not what happened so essentially the 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 motion was amended to remove as you just said the latter bit of it which specified the date at which the UK would leave the EU and it also specified that if MPs didn't agree on anything by that date then the the UK will just automatically crash out. That was what was really contentious because the government whipped against that, but it passed anyway by a very narrow margin. And then there was another vote on the overall motion. Um, and at that point, that's when all the cabinet ministers kind of rebelled. And I just wondered, sort of looking back, why they didn't just keep the free vote on that because Theresa May could have easily got up and said, fine, I mean, we've voted this through, but you might have amended it to remove the bit that it, where it says that it's the legal default to have no deal. But it, it's still true. So you just, it, it doesn't matter.
1: It's its classic May sort of prioritising party management, even when arguably there is no longer a party left to be managed. She still wants to wear both hats and indulge those two irre- irreconcilable halves of her party. That's why the, the, the original motion saying we're against no deal, but also no deal is going to happen anyway, lads, don't worry, was so confused and contradictory because... May seize her job first and foremost as to command a, command a majority of her own party. Yeah, the the weird thing I thought was that the
0: amendment was essentially to go from one saying this House doesn't want no deal but recognises that the legal default is no deal to this House doesn't want no deal. However, look, MPs can choose to delete the words going no deal is the legal default if they want. It doesn't make it any less true. I can understand why. I mean, it did feel kind of slightly on the nose and the original person to table the amendment, which fundamentally doesn't seem to understand how British law or international treaty law works, didn't then understand that you can't withdraw an amendment once it's been put down and anyone who's been a signatory to it can move it. So that was Caroline Spellman who did it. Added, Dame Caroline add, Spelman.
1: <laughs> sorry, Dame Caroline
0: <laughs> Spelman. Um Adding kind of to... the sort of adding another sort of weird layer of farce the mp who did move it yvette cooper i was about to say famously which really shows i should get out more semi-famously to people who with too much on the hand, compared people who said it was not a good idea to trigger article 50 as a blank check to donald trump and it's just one of those things where it's just like well i can i can see how if you want to believe that that wasn't a crass and actually deeply offensive thing to say um then um then i can see why you want to believe that just going well i don't recognise that the 29th of march is the legal default does make you feel uh better about about it but it doesn't change the fact that it is the legal default and as yet mp's have not been able to cohere behind anything which changes that legal default and it's quite difficult i think to see how they will although i am aware that the two of you disagree with me on that so eleni what do you th- what 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 do you see as the kind of what's going to happen over the next couple of days
2: well i think i there's a lot of stuff going on so we we're going to have the vote that's uh, the deal therese may's deal is going to come back and the question is is it going to get through uh, before the end of march and therefore will the only extension that we need be before getting all through get the necessary legislation and the kind of related question there is how many of the conservative erg mps how many of them are going to flip back and decide, actually, we're going to back this deal because otherwise we might not have Brexit or we might have a really long extension and get something that we want less. And, yeah, I think I think that ultimately, either for, for, with votes from the ERG or with a few votes from Labour, some form of Theresa May, May's deal will get through, but I, I'm just not sure when. Yeah, Patrick?
1: So I think it all depends on the outcome of two things. The first two linked things, the first being Geoffrey Cox's discussions with the... DUP and whether he can offer them a slightly more robust ladder to climb down or indeed a ladder at all, and then uh, whether the DUP change their minds, whether lots of ERG MPs join them in changing their minds, save for further concessions from the EU, which on balance are unlikely, and there's no incentive to offer further concessions at this point, given that you know the widespread acceptance, in, especially when, West, when Westminster votes for an extension. So I would imagine that Jeffrey Cox can't offer the DUP quite enough. Um, I would I would be pretty bullish about the number of ERG MPs who are going to change sides. You know that's always
0: been. Is that the good f- one or the bad one? I always get bullish and bearish confused. Is bullish as it, in you think it will happen? I you- think it will happen. So I'm, you think I, loads just yeah, 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 yeah. ERG MPs.
1: I, You know I think Steve Baker et al have had a very hard job of keeping that group together. And the really striking thing for me, actually, in recent days has been I've been thinking a lot. Well, not a lot. That implies I lie in bed thinking about meetings of the 1922 committee. You gotta kind of do that, right? I, I do. Yeah, I do. Uh, there was a meeting of the 1922 committee in July just after Boris Johnson and David Davison resigned. And obviously just after check has been published. And even at that point, there would, at every meeting of the 22 you'd say to a Tory MP... Well, you know, the first question is, oh, who got up and said the deal was a turkey and said she had to go? And the answer would always be, oh, you know, the usual suspects, Nadine Dorries, Bridgen, Simon Clark, Philip Davis, right? And the really striking thing for me in recent days is, Philip Davis and Nadine Dorries have voted for the deal. Simon Clark was doing the rounds last night saying, well, I think I'm going to have to vote for the deal now. I think, actually, sort of imperceptibly in the background, a lot of Tory MPs are... Changing their minds, we'll get down to that rump of say twenty RGMPs. Then the, what is the incentive of you're a Labour MP? You're looking at an extension one side that prevents No Deal, a crap deal on the other. Which are you going to pick? And you know you would say, wouldn't you, that few Labour MPs even now are going to change their minds.
0: Well, I think so. So let's talk a bit about some of the votes which have happened, some of the votes which will have happened uh, by the time many of our listeners get this, and what we th- we think the various implications of those votes are or might be. So my essential take is that I think one of the really significant things about yesterday's vote wasn't that the government was defeated, but broadly why the government was defeated and how on the meaningful vote you know, on this, the second time around. Labour MPs did not vote for it in any significant numbers after, okay, I was about to say after spending millions of pounds, after spending a derisory amount of money and with a derisory level of commitment on workers' rights. Although, bluntly, right, the thing is with the whole oh, we will have commitment on workers' rights, there is there is no commitment that a British Prime Minister can make on guaranteeing a floor of labour market regulation outside the EU that can be stronger than one guaranteed by our membership of the EU, because Parliament is sovereign outside of the EU. So any guarantees on workers' rights are always conditional on a future Conservative government not being able to repeal it with 325 votes, right? So that was always going to be a a non-concession. And on uh, towns, it's still not clear if that is new money at all, because it doesn't appear to have any Barnett consequentials which suggests that it's not new money. But even if it is new money, I mean, it's obviously a lot of money to, to... any of our listeners, and if it's if there's a listener to whom, you know, one and a half billion over seven years is not a lot of money, then uh, please do send us some. I uh, Don't subscribe. I mean, do subscribe. You've got a lot of money, but also just some unmarked envelopes to the three of us, either courtesy of Parliament or, or the NS. We're, we're not fussy about the delivery, but dollars, I think, considering <laughs> the political uncertainty. But it's a derisory amount of money in terms of what the government spends. But in the end, they could only get the support of...
1: Caroline Flint. It was the same three. Last time, obviously, Ian Austin has resigned the whip since. Oh, And Frankfield Yeah, and Frank Field, yeah, and Frank Field 20 plus 20 Caroline Flint was the only new Labour MP who voted for the deal. Yeah,
0: so at this point, right, the, the argument you're going to make to your CLP if you're a Labour MP in that category is either, look, I had to do it so we would keep the seat, or, and, and obviously that, that argument doesn't change, right? You, you either feel able to make that argument to your members or you don't, or you go look, we got some meaningful concessions and the government, I think, is not going to have, despite those concessions being fairly small beer, I don't think that there is there is larger beer to come. I think it was quite significant and they couldn't even get the kind of, uh, you know, the kind of core of I voted Remain, but, you know, it's it's hard being an MP for a small town, you know. They couldn't even get people who voted against the Cooper Amendment to extend to vote for it. So my reading... And obviously, I'm aware that I'm a minority here because the two of you are were I think slightly more bullish or bearish. Or it's just so confusing because both animals are bad. I don't want to meet either of them in a dark alley. I, I can't see how if they could only get to four Labour MPs, they're going to get to the number of Labour MPs necessary to cancel out the irreconcilable Brexiteers.
1: Especially if there is the promise of indicative votes and extension. You know, this it's amazing how two weeks from exit day, we're still talking about meaningful vote three being maybe the penultimate but one throw of the dice for MPs. I still think, like, actually, lots all the special interest groups have not yet concluded that their day is done. Look at how Peter Carr and Phil Wilson still haven't tabled their amendment. There is still a feeling that there are plenty more chances, or not plenty, a few more chances to come before the really difficult decision will will come. They
2: now have to grapple with the fact that Theresa May's deal has been voted down twice really badly by MPs. So how can that be put to a referendum with Remain as an option? So it, it, it's just MPs have voted down categorically, so it's difficult to justify that going to the people. So they they have to start thinking, actually, maybe it should be a referendum, kind of a final say between some other kind of deal and Remain. So it gets really complicated.
1: Yeah, that, that, that that's the Labour leadership's logic isn't it that you know you have to have a leave proposition that has commanded a majority in parliament but as you said in our office in parliament yesterday Stephen the point at which a leave proposition gets a majority in parliament then knocking off the referendum bit has sort of been promised is quite easy isn't it
0: my essential analysis is still that there is not a majority to be found in for a second referendum right let's talk about some of the amendments later on today Of which I would say the most significant is probably, well, so the overall thing is to seek an extension, uh, an extension to the Article 50 process if the deal does not pass on the third go around. That's the kind of government one. And we kind of assume that, that will effectively something asking for an extension will pass. The I think the interesting one, if it gets tabled, is this cross-party amendment of basically conservative Brexiteers of various stripes, the DUP and Fourteen Labour MPs saying, "Yeah, we think a second referendum is bad." Now that amendment may not be tabled. Yeah, Burko may not decide to have a vote on it. But I mean, essentially, if there are fourteen Labour MPs who are so opposed to a second referendum that they are willing to put their names
1: to an uh, amendment with you know Nigel Dodds yeah. and Sammy Wilson's name on it, yeah, then they are never they are never coming around to that idea, no matter what you say you know as some optimistic remainders on the labour front bench say look you know you can go back to grimsby or Bassett law or wherever and you can say i voted for brexit i mean that's just not that's just not going to happen that's not going to wash yeah i mean i
0: think i don't know about you but i feel almost every week i feel one or us will bump into someone in the labour on the labour benches who turns out to be anti a second referendum and it's just like wow you you, know, it, it, you really you you know, kind of yeah you know, people who i would have if you'd asked me a year ago to do a like a kind of a list of you know Cut me, I bleed blue and blue and stars. Labour MPs, who go no, never. We wouldn't win. It would be a terrible idea. Uh, we'd actually just make everything worse. The one thing we have going for us is the last time was close. So you know, we we've just got to like bank that until we can fight
1: it in the more. And, and there are there are there are plenty of people with who will enthusiastically tweet about a people's vote, and you know have CLPs full of remainers who think it's a terrible idea. They will privately say. Of course, I don't think we should have a second referendum, and we're not going to have one. But if I don't take this stance, my CLP will keep hemorrhaging members. I, you know, I will incur their wrath. You know, I don't want the Lib Dems to, to you know, ratchet up their vote share in my seat again.
2: Mm. Yeah, I, I agree that there's definitely no majority for a second referendum. But speaking to some of the people on the kind of sidelines who aren't who don't come out and say what they think as much or at all, there is a slightly nuanced position amongst some of them that are they're very against a second referendum when you call it that. But when you say it's going to be a final say on deal versus remain, then they can actually count as voting for that. And there is a group of them who kind of aren't really taken into account. But it's definitely not big enough, I think.
0: Yeah, I think this is the thing. And and opposition to it in the Conservative Party is sufficiently deep. So, you know, I think regardless of whether that gets voted on, I think, yeah, we can can once again say a second referendum ain't going to happen. The other significant amendments, I guess, are over the length of time for
1: this extension. The interesting thing for me is that when you have Christopher, obviously it's not a particularly well-intentioned amendment, Christopher Chope, the sort of paleo-sceptic MP for Christchurch in Dorset of upskirting uh, fame, uh, not... For the lawyers out there, he's not an upskirter. He objected to a mem- private member's bill that would have outlawed upskirting, which has since been since been made illegal. Um, Christopher Chope has tabled an amendment saying we should have an Ask 50 extension for the express purpose of replacing our negotiating team. Now, obviously, that's a bit of scurrilous mischief-making. But it's interesting that I think everyone at this point has made peace with the fact there's going to be an extension. You saw Malthouse tabled by... ERG head honcho Steve Baker and other Brexiteers that said we should have an extension I think everyone has come round to the idea of an extension in principle but the real battle is over its length and that is a battle that won't just happen in Westminster it will also happen in Brussels and uh, in the chancelleries of, uh, of Europe yeah so I think that's the thing is I think I think basically the
0: in, the interesting thing we will learn today is what is the the length at which parliament is willing to set the cliff and how durable is that majority? I must admit, I'm, I'm basically kind of the question I keep asking myself is, do you, what do I think the maximum number of Labour MPs who would, at the death, vote for the deal to prevent No Deal is, and is it bigger than the minimum the
1: minimum number of Tory MPs who will never vote for any deal? Interesting. Uh, no, I would say not because you have that group of 28 Labour MPs who have defied a whip to soften or delay the Brexit, the 2016 referendum result Brexit, or they have actively voted to harden that Brexit. But that includes a big chunk of abstainers on the Cooper, remem- Cooper the first Cooper amendment about the, sorry, Cooper 2.0, the Cooper Bowles, Ledwin, whatever. Yeah. This is the one which
0: would have mandated the government to seek an extension after the 12th of March or something.
1: Yeah, God. What day is it? The 14th. Crazy. So yeah, there's a big chunk of abstainers there, so I think we can only really bank on people who have actively broken a whip to vote the other way and I think that is that is about 14 I think if I remember rightly
0: so I think there are now 21 MPs who have act Labour MPs who have actively you know done the full rebellion
1: as it were yeah
0: all the way from 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 voting uh being told to vote for something to voting against it in the in the hard Brexit direction so you think it's only 21 I would say
1: that's probably that I suppose some of them are on the front bench so you never go broke betting on a smaller rebellion than his than is popularly billed by people who aren't actually plugged in all that much. Like if you listen to you know, it's like when you hear Mann and Caroline Flint say, Oh, X number of people can rebel and you hear Amber Rudd say, X number of ministers can resign, I think ultimately they're not best placed to be making those calls. So I almost think it always think it's better to bet a little bit under whatever they're selling. Okay, right. So, what do you think the
0: minimum number of conservative holdouts, right, the ones who will not vote for a deal under any circumstance,
1: is?
2: Well, it's definitely as we've been saying, Stephanie, the whole of the ERG. It will be a small core of them. I would guess twenty or something like that.
1: so, so you have the the, the 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 twenty MPs. God, there have been so many votes, and even I can't remember. There were twenty MPs in a recent division who actively defied, the, who defied a government whip to give MPs a vote. On extending Article 15. Now there are there were twenty there were twenty of them exactly, and we can sort of, you can sort of take that as a core for, yeah, for uh, these but, purposes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, they were not won't be the exact same twenty. Some of them voted, you know, to send their message and have since voted for a deal or will vote for a deal. But I think in terms of size, that number is probably the right one. And this
0: is kind of even before we've got to the question of whether or not the DUP have somehow been
1: brought on
0: board. But it does still mean that you're five short, unless there's a i mean so i i guess the one thing is is i do feel i think you're exactly right about it's really important to remember that whenever you read a story in which an mp even a named mp goes it will be you know tens of thirties of billions right so of the tig mps right these are people who literally got to know each other sufficiently well that they planned and successfully you know in semi-secret broke away and formed a a new political party however successful it ends up being Two of whom were elected. Yeah, uh, Mike Gapes and Anne Coffey were elected for the first time in 1992. They hadn't shared a platform together and didn't really know each other until the first time they would shared a platform together publicly was on, when, that, Monday was on that Monday morning. Like there are a lot of MPs, right? You know, it is. I was about to say it is like school, and maybe lots of people's schools are smaller than that. But if you think about if you went to a large school of like you know more than. A thousand people. You didn't know anyone, everyone, even in your own intake, as it were. Like so, the, yeah. You say like this: our MPs are oddly enough some of the least reliable people in terms of it'll be
1: X number of of tens because they just don't Yeah, exactly. Like what? man is a two thousand one intake MP. Flint is it's Flint ninety seven. Flint is ninety seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So actually, you know, like you say, that was Labour intake of hundreds each time. Yeah. So you know, in the same way that if someone in the twenty fifteen intake said to you. I have X number of people, you know, Remain from the 2015 intake said that to you, you could be much more confident in yeah, that because, because it's a much smaller intake and they're much closer personally.
0: Yeah, and they've and, and also like one of the, the really interesting changes, I think, in terms of how MPs organise themselves is WhatsApp, not, not from a plotting perspective, but because they all arrive and, you know, some keynote as the, you know, like, Labour 2015 WhatsApp group, and then there's always one person who everyone goes, God, if I see... So, I mean, a fairly senior uh, female Labour MP was just like... Yeah, she said. She said since I mean, they're not millennials, but you know, she said since the millennials arrived in parliament, yeah, there are just so many cat pictures now in the
2: in the WhatsApp <laughs> group.
0: I, I I can't I can't stand it. But it does mean that they have a yeah, as you say, have a much better idea of what each other think. Whereas mostly uh, you have you know the kind of oh well people know the people on their select committee. They know the person who they you know they might be shadowing or they're, they're a are PPS to, but they don't have that bigger grip on what the vast mass of uh, other MPs are. But the one reason why I think I'm slightly... I think it might be bigger than than 15 in the Labour group is when you talk to even second referendum supporters on the Labour side about, you know, well, what do you do if you get to the cliff? They do go, well, obviously you can't permit, no deal. Which is the other reason why uh, I think May's deal is still going to pass because ultimately people keep talking about a Mexican standoff, but the ERG doesn't believe guns kill people. So they're always going to be unafraid of the gun, whereas the second referendum people do all believe that the gun does work that no deal is bad, and that's
1: why I think they will and that was that was the most interesting line in the TIG's opening press conference, which was I think it was Chukka and moon that said we will vote in any way necessary to prevent no deal come what may, and people sort of people have missed that you know it, at the death might they might they eventually vote for the deal you know the the you know the 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 willingness to facilitate on both parties' leaderships encourage that its formation you know, might they eventually vote for that deal if it's the last thing on the table? I don't know the, any TRGMPs listening do get in touch and tell us we're <laughs> wrong well tell me I'm wrong <laughs>
0: Now it's time for a section we like to call
2: You Ask Us
0: Thank you Our question then comes from Martin Cookson If the withdrawal agreement gets through the House of Commons what is the House of Lords role going to be? Nod it through, ping pong it, kill it with fire and how can this be done in the time available?
1: I would say those options but in reverse I think they will try and kill it with fire or a noisy minority will then they will or you know then that will lead to a process of ping ponging Yeah and then eventually it will be nodded through, as per the terms of the Parliament Act. Right, so I'm going to explain just for the benefit. So
0: ping-pong is a, is a game, but it's also the term for what happens when the House of Lords votes something into government legislation and the government doesn't want, and it basically then goes back to the House of Commons, and then either the House of Commons can accept the Lords Amendment, in which case it goes through, or the Commons goes, nah, we're not going to have this. Now, technically, the Lords can keep going, but we want it until the parliament act forces it through at the end of the year i to be honest kind of think that a lot of the time however it's 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 not ping pong it's a kind of single pong i think i can't think of any particularly recent examples of that but i feel i ought to be able to can you
2: not really
0: patrick patrick you're a computer uh
2: what
1: recent examples of ping pong yeah
0: well single single the kind of single pong
1: oh god No. I mean, the problem is that no one pays attention to legislation anymore.
0: So the EEA amendment is a good example, I think, of the single pong, right? So the Lords went, we'd like to stay in the EEA. The Commons went, no. No. The Lords went, okay, fine. I think it would be a single pong. Single pong, probably single pong, but this will be subject to a confirmatory referendum on the deal. I think the Commons would then go, yeah, no, no thanks. And it would then just pass because i just think
2: i just wonder though if they're going to propose if the lords are going to propose anything that actually hilariously gets through the commons because there's such a small government majority now well not i generally. think that was
1: that was the that was the hope of a lot of remainers when the ea amendment was proposed and certainly when the lords proposes customs union amendments there is the assumption that well great you know at the time uh, labor remainers were brief they would say look there are so many Tory MPs who are on the record as saying they want EEA after this means the Lord's EEA amendment will definitely pass. And of course, as we've learned since, it doesn't matter that Anna Soubry and Heidi Allen exist as long as, or existed, well, they still exist as, as MPs, but not Conservative MPs, of course, as long as Yvonne Forvigu and Julie Cooper and Rosie Cooper and all the other North West contingent do.
0: Yeah, and so I mean, I think.
1: Yeah, I also, my assumption,
0: right, is that you know if you're the House of Lords and you do this, you are very probably voting. Actually, the problem is, I think, yeah, if you if you said to the average Lib Dem or Labour peer, uh, you can stop Brexit, and as a freebie, the Tories will abolish the House of Lords, they'd be like, yeah, where can I sign? I think the problem is, is you, you aren't actually going to end up abolishing the House of Lords. You are giving them a pretext, the thing that they've wanted to do for ages, which is um, they are congenitally offended by the fact that they're the first Conservative government not to have a majority in the House of Lords ever. And you would just have kind of, you
1: know, arise, Lord Toby of Young. Arise, Lord... Oh yeah, there is, you, I mean, can, you can always, as Lord George is to do, and as every Prime Minister is starting to do at various points, just create a thousand peers. Yeah. So this is why I think ultimately it would be a very
0: quick moment because ultimately if MPs have surrendered the fight on softening or stopping Brexit then, you know, it doesn't matter how angry Andrew Adonis is, the House of Lords as a collective I think is not going to do anything. May turn out to be a stupid prediction, but I guess we'll find out. You've been listening to the New Statesman Podcast. This week it was recorded by me, which is why the sound quality is so bad. Nick Hilton, our producer, did an admirable job of fixing uh, my various mistakes. Our music is Devil by the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. If you want to get free extra weekly Sunday email from the whole of the politics desk, subscribe to the NS digitally and you will receive the week ahead email which features gossip, what's coming out in movies, books and cinemas, plus I chuck in a recipe or a restaurant recommendation every week.